Welcome to the Oxford Berlin Creative Collaborations podcast. In this series, we showcase research projects across the arts and humanities, drawing on expertise from the University of Oxford and the Berlin University of the Arts, and integrating scientific methodologies with artistic expression. Welcome to our second installment exploring the interaction of machine learning and human creativity. I'm Carl Schoenfeld from the Oxford Berlin Creative Collaborations podcast, together with Abby Williams, Professor of English Literature at St. Peter's College. Abby works with graduate students and local AI company Charisma on Willplay, where learners chat with Shakespeare's characters. Picking up the conversation is Jussi Anglesleber, professor at the University of the Arts Berlin and also creative director at Art and Com Studios. Jussi, how did you first get to apply AI? If you allow, we'll have to take a little bit of a time travel journey here. I realized, thinking of your question, that actually the very first time I got into the AI was before it was called AI in this sense. I mean, It was basically my thesis work at the Royal College of Arts in computer-related design in London in around 2001-2002, where I wrote my work about creative agency in evolutionary computational systems or ev evolutionary computational design, something like this. And that was the title of the work. So it was looking at, can we apply creative agency to computer. Long story short, my result, or just like back then, I deemed that as a sparring partner, it makes sense. As a sole authority, not. So back then it was, the talk was about things like genetic algorithms in designing 3D geometries or lighting in 3D spaces where the user doesn't necessarily know what parameter to tweak, but knows when the right kind of atmosphere has been achieved. So software system that can help you design, like suggest you many things and you say more like this, more like this, more like this. And then an algorithm helps you kind of hone into that trajectory that you can then jump iterations to closer to what you really want without being able to express it in technical terms of light, like spotlight openings and color hues and directions and blah. So that was the first time that I touched it. But then it was many years later that it became hip and trendy because the computer science kind of caught up and started to deliver in the third wave of AI, I would say, from the, I mean, the first one was probably in the 60s, what the Macy conferences triggered back in the day. Then there was another in the 19s, early 2000s. And now it's the third wave, I would say, where the big data has created a different sort of definition of AI. Do you see a certain way how human creativity interacts with AI? Does it change human creativity? What's happened is that it's enabled our creativity. There's something about what we made and the process of doing it and that flexibility of both scripted and unscripted movement through a story that enabled a creative form of writing and a reimagining of the story, which was ours. That was definitely human, but it was enabled by the potentiality of the AI. So I think it's a really, the whole link between creativity and AI is way more complicated than, oh, what happens if computers start making things and who owns that stuff and has it taken away our humanness? 
this enabled us to do better the things that we do as humans because of faking of some kinds of human skills. Here we're talking about creative agencies. Maybe the audience can be the artist in exploring the machine. Maybe like this, but the machine by itself, there is no creativity in that without the human evaluation or sort of perspective of what makes sense. So I think that, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've been emphasizing is the interactive potential of engaging with text in new ways. But I think that coming back to the conversation we were just having about an immersive experience in which the kind of player, reader, user, viewer gets to kind of control the world versus one which is fixed. I think that that kind of pushes the question in a way of what art is and what creativity is and what makes art good. Films are good because someone makes bold decisions about when to cut and what to keep and what not to keep and where to keep narrative focus. And the same thing happens in a novel or in a play or in an act of photography. And, you know, if we're just going to go for kind of a freely rangy experience of what's happening before us, we might as well just watch CCTV rather than going to the cinema and watching a film. So... I think that whatever we create, which a kind of immersive interactive functionality has got to come alongside some kind of curation of experience in order for it to be meaningful or valuable or yeah. desirable, I think. I don't want to just be in some big kind of AI generated bot mess of a story where there is no purpose. Like narrative is satisfying for reasons that date back millennia and we know what those reasons are. And if it doesn't satisfy those kind of curves and arcs and give us closure and expectation in the ways that we want, then it's not going to work for us. So I suppose, yeah, at the same time as interaction being really important, I think there are other aspects to an enjoyment of a game or a story or a movie that need to be fulfilled. What we're finding is that something, the apparent fixedness, but also the apparent datedness of a historical play can be challenged in exciting ways for readers by the potential of interactivity, but there's still got to be a shape that's satisfying to follow. You've got to end up in a place which A, correlates with the play that you've got and B, feels satisfying in a narrative way and delivers because if it all just sort of peters out into a kind of series of false moves, that's not interesting or educational. So maybe one way of looking at it, or one aspect of this interacting with the AI in creative endeavor is that like many technologies, AI or neural networks, machine learning, whatever you want to call it, can give us superpowers. <laughs> so in a sense, just like a keyboard is a superpower, I write much faster on a keyboard than with a pen and paper these days. So I can think in more fluid way when I type on a keyboard and I can still have this concentration that when I'm speaking, I cannot. So like I can sort of see the bigger picture on text better than speaking. So in this analog, for example, using AI predictive text capabilities in creative writing, I see a great potential to giving you words or sentences or concepts or facts at your fingertips, the same way as like a computer like a writing software code. If you think of the application programming or IDE, when you write code, you would load the library of the language that you're using, let's say Python. So if you're writing in Python, you can auto-complete. So you can just hit tab to have the brackets and the all the sort of stuff around, or you have the function calls at your fingertips without having to type them. So I think the same sort of potential of using machine learning techniques that you can write with superhuman powers because you have all the dates 
all the names at your fingertips that the predictive system is trying to think behind your back, looking at what you've been writing to say, you might want to be referring to this the next. Of course, this can be also misleading that it takes you into a direction that it's not your writing, but it's the suggestions that you just, oh, okay, that's a good idea. I'll write that. So then it becomes dialogue. And then it becomes the sort of a human verdict on the machine suggestion that then becomes the outcome. So it is a sparring partner, but it is kind of blending to one in the outcome. I know this is a little bit of a like response. My experience in this case is more speculation of the potential rather than an actual experience of a thing that we've done before. It's so interesting hearing you ask that question, because from a kind of literary criticism, theoretical point of view, we were started to be really sceptical of the idea of authorial intention, even the idea of the author themselves decades ago. So students are no longer, you know, the idea that what we do when we read a text is to retrieve the emotional state of the author who wrote it is not something any student or reader would be encouraged to do nowadays. And it feels like some of the debate around AI is fixed in that mode of thinking about authorship and creativity that has been debunked in other humanities arenas. So I think in some ways, AI is way more palatable if you have read some later 20th century theory than than if you haven't, just because it creates a space for not fetishizing the author and not relying on authorial intention and purpose (laughs) as a way of understanding what it is that we're looking at or seeing or hearing. Jesse, did you want to come in on that? Yes, please. I realize now I'm at the problem I described earlier. I have so many thoughts in my head and I have this narrow bandwidth communication channel to try to get it across. So firstly, I totally agree that the tired treatment of the author in literature, now applying it into the AI as an author, that is definitely happening right now. Anything that is like the word AI is shoehorned in anything that can vaguely be justified as having something to do with some related field of Again, machine learning, neural networks, all this kind of, or expert systems, genetic genetic algorithms and so forth. Now it's all AI because it conjures this image of a sentient being. And 99% of the cases, it is not. But it is the sort of idealized hope or fear that we as humans, I guess, have. And therefore, maybe the authorship question is so prominent right now. But I think this is something that as the media literacy in the field of machine learning things advances, it's not going to be relevant anymore. I mean, I'm thinking back to the computer games, side note here, the sort of agent-based system simulations, AR, AI opponent, nobody is prescribing the sort of a sentient qualities, but they are very specific agents doing some things as a part of the grander narrative of the game, which is accepted by the gamers and cherished by them and subverted and so forth. But now that we have text generated with machine learning algorithms that are based on huge amounts of human text from countless authors, then it's this kind of amalgam of all humanity as then the source that we imagine in it. But of course, in the end, it's all statistics and there is no human in it. It's just the text that we then interpret the same way we would have interpreted arguably the first AI chatbot uh, Eliza, who was basically framed as a psychoanalysis who is asking questions to you writing prompts. So all the meaning is in your input into this text chat and all the reflection is just prompting you to put more meaning into it. But the meaning stays with you and not in the response of the quote-unquote AI. Maybe the AI can help us because from, let's say, from a creator point of view, to create a character that we want to 
be with for all these hours is quite a difficult thing. Can AI help us with that? So here we go. This was just an idea that listening to you, it just dawned on me. Imagine the classic sort of dramatic arcs of hero's journey or love story or what have you. You can already, of course, train language models to replicate that. So you can have this deep structure stretching over the longer terms and then you still have like a meaningful and reasonable sounding language in the immediate sentence level. Now, what if you could, just like what's happened in the cinema in recent years after the introduction of the Netflixes of the world, that is, the serial format has taken over the epic films. So suddenly you have 10 hours instead of the originally one and a half, now two and a half. But now you have 10 plus as a story. So therefore, back to the 360, the milieu has become infinitely more important. Often computer games in relation to film or literature, many games are based on the worlds that are originally books the same way. So they're kind of, you are exploring the world in which you know things, the epic story of, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, any genre, you have these game adaptations of that, that leverage the fact that people have picture in their mind. And then they explore the details that would not be able to, like, that are not present in the original works. Now, if you could use this fixed form narrative that conjures a space and puts detail everywhere, but then you could stretch it indefinitely with the help of machine learning. So you could make 800 page book, 18,000 pages long, still having the narrative arc, but you would just end up in these nuanced details, which is then like for those who know the story, it is still the purpose, the big picture, the, the kind of the moral of the story or something else that matters, but you can kind of dwell in it in the times of the lockdown as you can do anything else indefinitely, which is, of course, the sort of power of computer games as well. You are lost in another world. I'd like to challenge that. Abby can back me up on that from an industry perspective. Let's say the people who have to pay for all these wonderful worlds, you know, Annihilation or Altered Carbon on Netflix, Blade Runner, amazing kind of worlds. Those decision makers still look first and foremost, not at the world, if it's interesting, but if the characters are interesting. Because if you're going to sit through, not just because they don't just want you to sit through 10 hours of altered carbon, that's not really worth the investment. You know, you really have to go for mm. the whole 30 hours. I am so out of my depth here in terms of knowing what AI can do and what AI can't do. But I <laughs> think that you, as you were talking, you see, I just, I, I'm kind of horrified by that idea. I don't want everyone at film to last more. <laughs> than one and a half hours. <laughs> so the idea of these gorillions of hours stretching on into the future when I'm like, it's time for bed. It seems appalling. But if we go with the premise that there are people who want to watch hours and hours and hours of the same thing distended, I think what you're suggesting is that that sort of distension and expansion happens by dwelling on the detail of the created world, right? So looking around right. in an immersive sense within the context of the longer story. And I'm sure Carl is right that what you need to have is a character that you engage with. I cannot see that AI is the answer to that. But what you could do is if you can create an algorithm for subgenres, right? So say we're within a big epic story and you can have kind of subplots along that way where you have the same character and you have the same world, but you put it through a comedy algorithm or a romantic algorithm or a magical realism one. 
you would get to have different experiences, different kind of flavors of experience within that world and with that character within the same longer story. And that seems like that really is a kind of flicking a switch and something which could mm. be automated because you'd have all the basic ingredients that you'd created and you would have an understanding of narrative structure that could be automated and then used to kind of play that out. It still doesn't make me want to do anything for um, <laughs> yes. 30 hours, but I think it's a but, really uh, interesting idea. So in this case, what I was more kind of extrapolating is the idea of the low bandwidth input output that the human body can master. So you can think much faster in your head than what you can express to the outside like you can have already a scene in your head and then by shifting your attention to different parts of the image in your head it becomes more and more concrete so if like thinking of this extelligence or using like machine learning based scaffolding that helps you manifest it in another form faster that you can stay in the right mentality yeah that's the speculation and we have done in our research efforts we have done some experiments to this direction like using like throw in a book machine learning system through identity like through uh named entity recognition gives you some structure of what kind of places people times and so forth are in the text so any arbitrary text so you just download a book from project gutenberg and then throw it in and then you instantly have a structure that is different than the chronological structure of the book so you have structure of the characters you have the structure of the places so thinking if you next to the like when you open the book you have the table of contents then you would have the social graph of the contents then you have the timeline of contents and you have the map of contents could be one sort of very placative way to give a different way to look at the work at hand without having to painstakingly think of it as a tool to reflect i think it's really interesting the way you're speculating about the different visualizations of texts that are enabled through ai or through some kind of processing because that's actually exactly what's happening in literary studies at the moment so i have colleagues who are taking actor network theory and they are applying it to or they're using complex system theories and they're applying it to Jane Austen novels and seeing that if you do a kind of distance reading of that text and looking at arrangements of words or locations of characters within the text we get a different understanding of what's going on and what its meanings might be and how we might read it so a lot of that work is done in a kind of manual way but it is of interest the sort yeah. of defamiliarization of the structure which is I think what you're describing is yeah. happening now and it's exciting to literary scholars because of for the reasons that you describe, yeah. Then I think you are asked... super interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, that we've ended up in the same place from different <laughs> from different yeah. angles. Many thanks for listening to our work. We hope that you found it stimulating and that you will subscribe for more thought-provoking podcasts from artists and researchers working jointly in Oxford and Berlin. If you should like to get in touch, please email us on info at oib.ox.ac.uk.